Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, folks. Let's talk about trade coffee. You take this online survey of what kind of coffees you like, and you get matched like a dating app for coffee. It's fantastic. I got matched with this, a delicious bag of decaf. Don't judge. This is... uh, Verve Coffee Roasters, Vancouver, Swiss Water, Decaf, Almond, Honey, Cola, Notes. Oh my goodness. I can't wait to try this out in the morning. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com slash milkshake. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz. I'm telling you, it's actually a really fun quiz at drinktrade.com slash milkshake and let trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com slash milkshake and you'll get $30 off. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. milkshakers. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake. I am your host, Reza Aslan. And I am Rain Wilson. Hello, everybody. Hi, Reza. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I had a little bit of an argument with my uh, my eldest son today. It left a bad taste in my mouth. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That's that's terrible. You know, is it is it me, Rain? Is it me? Like kids these days. Am I right? Am I right? Kids these days. Kids these days. Don't get me started. Like I have to oh be, my God. I have to be honest. Like I don't remember. I, I just have this feeling that I was a lot more resilient as a kid than than my kids are. I feel like nowadays, like if the slightest thing goes wrong, you know, yep. like if if the if the pool is too cold, then like their day is ruined for good. They won't. You know? They won't even go swimming. They won't go yeah. swimming. Forget it. I'll yeah. just I'll just sit here by myself and and look at the look at the sky. It's like, come on, man. Like what. What happened to resilience for kids? I mean, seriously. Well, you know, it's interesting with my son. I would say that he suffered from a lot of that. And then a really interesting thing happened that was very transformational, I think, in his characters. He went to a summer camp, a good old-fashioned summer camp, but it was a month long in the friggin' woods. And there's nothing like hiking, camping, canoeing, rainstorms, cold heat mosquitoes <laughs> to to teach you like resilience yeah. and, and grit and Toughen determination so in other words our our childhood like the childhood that you and i just normally yeah. had <laughs> yeah basically cold, i mean misery lack of food <laughs> nothing to do
Well, you and I, it's interesting because you and I, um, you know, we've talked about this a lot. We, we were, we came from relatively poor upbringings, you know, and, um, we had our challenges, but when I was a kid, um, if I wanted to listen to music other than a cheap, you know, AM radio, um, I wanted to buy a cassette player. Well, my parents didn't have money to buy me a cassette player. So that means you go get a job so that you earn the money for your cassette player. And not only that, you've got to earn your $13.99 to join Columbia Records and Tapes. Uh-huh. No, it's, oh, yeah. no, it's $1.99 to join your Columbia Records and Tapes. But then you've got to fill out the form every week. And you're mm-hmm. responsible if, Colum- if you forget to fill it out and Columbia sends you the new journey You got to pay for it. You got to pay for that. That's you know, how they got that, you. That's how they, that's how they rope you in. But <laughs> there wasn't any discussion about it. It was just like, if you want something other than just, you know, three pairs of pants and five shirts, if you want something beyond that, well, then you're just going to have to work and it's going to suck. And guess what? It sucks. Working sucks, especially when you're 16, 17 years old. It sucks. Yeah. I'd much rather be out playing instead of what I was doing when I was 15 years old, which was making flyers for a paint company and like putting them all over town on my bike, which, and then not that I actually even, that's a, like, I say that out loud and I think to myself, who decides to buy paint when they see a flyer like on a wall somewhere, like, oh, that's, I might go and buy some paint from this place. Yeah, like, well, I was thinking sense. about buying this other brand, but now that I see this flyer crookedly <laughs> stapled to this telephone pole yeah. uh, next to the 7-Eleven. Yeah. But, but, yeah. but the, the larger point here, I think, is it makes sense, which is that, you know, we spent all of our lives, you and me, working our asses off, you know, doing whatever it took to become successful so that our kids wouldn't have to ride a yeah. bike through town stapling flyers, you know, to a, a wall for minimum wage. And we did it. We were both very, very comfortable. And, we, and we've and we given our kids, like, the best life that we I'm can give them. I'm a lot more them. comfortable than you, but yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. more, that, that's true. That's true. I don't have the, I don't have the residual uh, checks that you do. But no, I do have residual don't. checks, but they're for, like, $4.29, which I have one right here. Um, <laughs> but... Is the drawback to that, that now we have kids who are not resilient? And then even as I say this, like, the truth is, is that I'm not even sure what resilience actually even means. Yeah. Like, does, does it, it just... mean suck it up? Is, <laughs> is that, that what, is that what it means? Because that's not a nice thing to say to your kid. Suck it up! Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like to think that it has something to do with adaptability to circumstances. Yeah. And it has yeah. something to do with the virtue of determination. Yes, that's um, good. That's good. Which could be a positive uh, a positive attribute. But yeah, I don't, it's a, it's a grossly overused word. Yes, yeah, so overused. It's, it is a grossly overused word these days. So basically. overused. So overused. And it, and, and it just, it's kind of, also become kind of a, a shorthand for a kind of bullying, you know, you're basically like, don't be such a wimp. And it's funny because like we were asking um, our intrepid uh, producer and researcher Safa to do some research on kind of resilience and like the history of resilience. And she came up with this Nietzsche quote about resilience. This is what he says. The resilient human being is no, a warrior. Stop it. No, stop it. Is that racist? No, kind you're of racist against oh, Germans. Okay, fine. 
The resilient human being is a warrior who heals the vulness of its own soul and comes back to life as a new person who is now above its usual limits. An ubermensch! So when Nietzsche is telling you that, like, to be resilient is to be an ubermensch, like, no wonder you no. and I are confused about fuck what the Nietzsche. hell. Yeah, fuck Nietzsche. Fuck exactly. Nietzsche. Fuck that, that guy. God, I, I love, I have a love hate relationship with Nietzsche, <laughs> but, but this, this does beg the master question, not the master race, the master question: What does not kill me makes me stronger? Question mark? Question mark? Does it really? I think we should discuss this, and who better to discuss it with than the best-selling author, Steve Magnus. And uh, he has a new book out called Do Hard Things, Why We Get Resilience Wrong and the Surprising Science of Real Toughness. This is a fascinating tome. He's got a lot of interesting things to say. Very excited to have Steve on the show. Steve is a world-renowned expert on health and human performance. He, his writing has appeared in Outside, Runner's World, Forbes, Sports Illustrated, Men's Health. He's been featured in The New Yorker, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, et cetera, et cetera. He's also the author of The Science of Running and the co-author of Peak Performance. And like myself, a, an accomplished athlete and runner. <laughs> Don't laugh! Don't! Come on! <laughs> Steve Magnus, welcome to The Milkshake. Thanks for having me. It's uh, our pleasure really enjoying this book, Do Hard Things, Why We Get Resilience Wrong, and the Surprising Science of Real Toughness. There's a lot in here. There's a lot to chew on. One of the things that I noticed from the get-go is that you're a runner, and there's a lot of runner stories running metaphors. And I, I don't know if you knew this about me, Steve, but um, I was a triple jumper. Wait, is that so, true? How, wait, that is true. Wait, I, I didn't did not know, know that. that. I feel like I've known, even, I know so much about you and I did not know that. Even, even Reza didn't know that. It was seventh and eighth grade only. Yeah, but And still. I did long jump as well. And I did some hurdles. I did hurdles. I was a hurdler. You were a hurdler. I was a hurdler. I mean, a good. You're a little a, guy, though. Like, How'd you get up over those hurdles? Did I, you? I didn't say I was a good use, hurdler. Did you use a pole vault? <laughs> to, this is mostly me running from bigger guys and jumping over things. I didn't mean like yeah. you know, like as a race or anything. Just I don't. Like triple jump is shit. ridiculous. I don't even remember what I did. Triple with jump the triple is jump. absurd. And by the way. Can I like what is that? Why do why do you do that? Why do you do that silly it's little ask the Greeks dance? Yeah. That's right. There's no real good point, but I'll tell you this: the triple jump, I think, is one of the hardest events. Totally, because it it makes no sense, and like it's actually one of the highest events with the injuries. So well, yeah. that you survive that, you know, it's just impressive in my book. I all I remember about it is one: I went to a meet and I came in second, so I got a silver medal at a meet. So I was very excited about that. I'd never won anything having to do with physicality before in my life, but we would have to, us triple jumpers would have to go around the track, triple jumping over and over again. So it was just the most ludicrous thing to see. There were only like three of us or four of us. And we'd like go around the track, hop, hop, skip, jump, hop, skip, jump up, um, over and over and over again. Anyways, <laughs> enough, enough about me. We have Steve Magnus, best-selling author with us here, coach. You're a, 
you're a coach, you're all kinds of things, a writer, co-founder of The Growth Equation. You've got your own website. That's amazing. That must have cost a bundle. What did you learn about toughness and resilience from your time as a runner and why the centrality of running as toughness and resilience? And did this inspire you to write the book? It, you know, it did. Because much like you, I began running track in seventh and eighth grade. And I hated it. Absolutely hated it. I was more of a soccer player. But then in high school, I got really fast, really quick. And my coach said, like, ditch everything else. You're going to be really good at this. And I was. In high school, I ran a, a mile in four minutes and one second. And was what? fast. Yeah. No way. Four minute mile is like, uh, that's, that only was broken in the last century or something like that. Yeah. 1954. So wow. it's still a hard thing to do. And as a high schooler, it was really hard. And so toughness has always been the central thing. And back then I was kind of this guy who's like, my MO was I'm going to run until I just have nothing left until I just puke and can't okay. do anything. And that works really well when you're having a good day and everything is aligned. But what mm -hmm. happens is when you're not having a good day and you go and you reach down and you're like, oh, I'm going to be tough. I'm going to grit it out. And that's the only place you have to go. When it's not yeah. there, you just, you just fall apart and you just fail. So I, I think running, having dealt with that and struggled with that, running is often like one of the perfect metaphors because what is it? You're alone in your head with no one else to help you, feeling all this discomfort, this pain, and your inner voice and dialogue often goes to like, why in the hell am I doing this? Like, find a way out, <laughs> step in a hole, like quit. And you have to navigate that and get on the other side of it to reach your goal or do the thing that you want to do. Yeah, it actually is a pretty good metaphor now that you, you bring it up. Because, you know, is it about being stronger or is it about being faster or is it about just the mental toughness necessary to like break through that wall? And by the way, as you talk about this, it occurs to me that uh, the greatest shame of my life was doing hurdles. Uh, uh, I remember we were at, it was like at the state at the state championship. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The greatest shame of your life. Really? All right, well, I was hoping you weren't going to bring up the other stuff. But, like, <laughs> amongst the greatest shames of my life. And, by the way, it's something that I've never actually even, like, said out loud, but I'm just saying it today because it just occurred to me is that I remember very clearly uh, it was, like, seventh grade or eighth grade, and it was, like, state championships, and I was doing hurdles, like, and I was okay at hurdles, but this was, like, state championship. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're running and we're doing the hurdles and I am in last place. And Steve, I faked an injury. I, <laughs> there it is. I, I deliberately ran into a hurdle and fell because then this way I'd be like, well, I didn't finish. So I, I didn't, wasn't technically in last place. Which that reveals a lot exactly. about your character. I was just about, it, it's, a, it's a whole other metaphor for the lack of resiliency where I was just like, you know what, fuck it. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go well, down. There's and a go lot down of hard. image. There's a lot of image <laughs> management going on there too. There's a little bit of a spin listen, spin zone happening. Listen, we've talked we've we've talked about that before. Let, let me make you feel a little bit better, Reza. We'll we'll call this our therapy session. All right, good. So a, a couple years ago, when I was getting the idea for this book. I had the opportunity to sit down with some of the best like endurance athletes in the world. We had like people had won New York City Marathon, Olympians, all this stuff. And it just came to me to just say, hey, I want to see how many of you have ever thought about faking an injury in the middle of a run. And these are the best of the best. Everybody raised their hand. See? So everyone had thought about it. Not everyone had done it. Some people actually had. They'd said, yeah, like I I grabbed my hamstring during this race in Mm -hmm. high school. So I think one of the things on toughness resilience is we often would see your story and we'd be like, oh, that means you're weak. No, that just means you're human because your brain is trying to protect you. And in this case, it's trying to protect you from that embarrassment. But that's a battle we all face. Here's what I take from that. Thank you, Steve. Uh, that I'm pretty much an Olympian. Thank you. I, I really, I feel you like. Put it on the resume. Yeah. I'll give you permission. Practically an it. Olympian. Folks, if you're a fan of this show, you know that I have, uh, what, like 78 kids. I've lost track. That means I uh, don't have a lot of time for fun and games that fabled free time that some of you have to do things that just do, you know, nothing but bring a smile to your face. I don't know what that's like, but when I do have some hard-earned fun, I add some joy to my daily routine with Best Fiends, the puzzle adventure game that you won't be able to put down. Folks, I just keep plugging away. I keep killing slugs. I keep empowering all of my fiends. I mix and match them to best destroy the evil slugs. I'm all the way up on level 107 now. It's dormant darkness. And there's five evil slugs on this level. It's crazy. It just keeps going. It's super fun. I really enjoy this game a lot. Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat menacing slugs. Power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With offline play, you'll never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. Listen, you've earned your fun time. Go to the App Store or Google Play to download Best Fiends for free. Plus, earn even more with five bucks worth of in-game rewards when you reach level five. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. But Steve, let's dig a little deeper here. I mean, yes, there's pain and pushing through and you have these internal battles. But what else is it about running that really has inspired your, you? Because you really have excavated toughness and resilience and like torn it inside out. You've got science, you've got self-help, you've got spirituality, psychology. You really are looking at this in a whole new way. And I appreciated the freshness of this tome because um, in no place in this book do you say you got to suck it up and tough it out. In fact, you had you are saying that that way of doing things has actually been incredibly deleterious. So in your own personal how has this affected you in your own personal journey and struggle? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's affected me in two ways. One, in my own life, I told you I ran a mile in four minutes and one second in high school. But what I didn't say is I never got better. Mm. And I think that journey on being ah. this, this close to that breakthrough, you know, this close to that barrier that everybody mm. understands and like really struggling with that for a while. And maybe Reza, you can, you know, um, appreciate this is, is almost feeling like that traumatic, embarrassing story of like, oh man, I never quite got there. Um, so a lot of that shaped my understanding of this. And then I think on the broader scale as well as since a kid, uh, or since I was like four or five years old, I've always had OCD mm. and OCD is a lot like running in some interesting ways in the sense that you have these crazy thoughts enter your head and then you have these urges for action, just like you might have this urge to quit in the middle of the race or this urge to fake an injury. And I think with OCD, like if you tried to just be like, oh no, this doesn't exist. I'm going to ignore this. I'm going to push away. It just backfires. It brings yeah. it back tenfold. And you really have to learn how to like navigate or sit with it or understand and pick apart what's real and what's not, because sometimes there is a real danger and you really do have an injury. But a lot of times it's like, it's, it's just fake. It's your brain like sounding the alarm when, you know, you really don't need to. The brain telling, yelling at you to quit. You know, this is really fascinating because uh, you, you talk a lot in the book about the difference between real toughness and fake toughness. Um, and that's part of the whole thesis, right? That, you know, we're, we're not really getting resilience right. You know, we were talking earlier about how this is such an overused word, right? Especially nowadays. Like, um, so what is the difference between real toughness and fake toughness? And how does that uh, indicate the ways in which we don't really understand what resilience is? Yeah, I think it's central. And I think if we brought in all the way out, I think it's bigger than just like resilience in athletics or in your life. I think it's something that we all struggle with or struggle societally with is this fake versus real. Because the fake version to me is, it's all about the external. It's about the appearance of being tough, mm. almost like the schoolyard bully who like seems strong and powerful, but underneath they're just like insecure. 
And I think that's what kind of that fake toughness or fake version is, is it's almost like let's create this appearance of strength, but underneath there's not much. And you see this, again, broadening way out. You see this in society, right? We have in politics, we have people who like, you know, uh, promote like this machoism and this manliness and this like, you know, some people, some politicians have called like, you know, dictators like Putin as he's a tough guy. In society, we see again this this almost like, hey, let's put on the external bravado and act like we're strong. Like, you know, act like we have everything figured out when the reality is we don't. So that's that's kind of like what I'm getting at is we have this appearance without substance and we need to turn or turn the tables and and pay more attention to the inner strength and the substance, which I think really matters. And often that's the quiet part that's inside and not all the the external bravado crap that you can see on the outside. Yeah, you have this quote in the book where you say, real toughness is about providing the tool set to handle adversity. It's teaching fake toughness creates fragility, responding out of fear, suppressing what we feel, and attempting to press onward no matter the situation or demands. And I like this I like this part too. Real toughness pushes us to work with our body and mind instead of against them. I think that's... What yeah. does that mean? What does that mean? So if you look at how our brain and our our hormones and our biology work, when we experience something, anything that causes us anxiety or discomfort, Mm -hmm. it's it's like your brain is sounding the alarm and says, "Uh uh-oh, there's something different here and this might be a threat. Mm. Now, if you resist that, what happens is you're almost affirming that there's a threat here. So for example, Rain, if you're about to, you know, uh, do something that causes you nerves, like, you know, go on a show or something, and I come up to you and I say, just relax, just relax. Well, if I say relax, what does your brain interpret? Like, it interprets, oh, man, I must look super stressed. So in the history of telling someone to relax, do they actually relax? No. So what we have to do instead is work with our body our brain and our body and our biology, meaning like understand how it works and then like, you know, give it the tools to be able to navigate those difficult things, if that makes sense. You know, earlier we were, we were uh, complaining about our kids and how non-resilient they, they are sometimes. But I love the way that you're talking about this as like, you know, true toughness is making smart decisions in challenging situations. Right. It's like you have this thing where it's like problem solving through obstacles, not regularly faced, which then makes the whole thing about like, ah, suck it up, muscle through. Uh, Don't be a wuss. Don't be a wimp. You know, just like bite down and, and get through it, which is kind of a lot of what we talk about when we talk about, you know, this whole uh, <laughs> fake epidemic of like a lack of resilience amongst kids, right? The kids these days, these kids these days, they don't know what it's like. They don't know how hard we all had it and they get everything handed to them and all that stuff. But there is something really fascinating in what you're saying and how you're defining resilience that is really instructive for parents like, you know, Rain and and me um, in the way that we want to foster these kinds of skills 
um, in our kids. What's the what's the best parenting advice you can you can give uh, people like us who are you know trying to figure out how do I make my kids more resilient without necessarily getting you know getting into all the the bullshit toxicity of it all. Yeah, you know it's funny, and I'm not a parent myself yet, but my wife is an elementary school teacher, so I I get to see how to manage kids pretty well. <laughs> and and here's the thing is what happens is if you just kind of put your head down and say, hey, just tough it out, you know, suck it up, et cetera, you're not actually learning or teaching those kids anything. Mm -hmm. What it's really about is putting them in, in difficult situations, not even difficult, like new situations, allowing them to explore and learn and giving them that freedom to do so. And like, supporting them while they do it. If there is a little bit of truth to the idea that, you know, hey, like kids aren't as resilient as they used to be. Not as much as people claim, but there is a little bit to it. And one of the main reasons that is, is actually because we don't have as much unstructured play and unstructured freedom for kids nowadays. Back in maybe all of our days, you went out and you played and you, you know, played football on the, on the playground or what have you. And you'd struggle with winning and losing and sometimes getting in arguments and fights. And you didn't have the adult always always there. So you had to figure out and navigate yourself. Fake an injury, go home. It, you know, all that good stuff. But that's <laughs> like that provides the skill set. Also boredom because you're hanging out with your group of kids, you know, and you've got till dinner time and it's three o'clock and you don't you're not yeah. needed till six and like do. Yeah, what are you gonna do? What do you guys want to do? You want to go to the Seven Eleven? No, I don't. I don't have any money. You want to watch TV? No. Hey, you want to throw a ball? I don't know. And and there's something about learning about difficulty. I wouldn't say it's anxiety, but by going through that as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's spending. It goes back to that running piece. What is running? Spending time alone in your head. Well, what mm -hmm. is boredom? Spending time alone in your head. Nowadays, we often fill that almost instantly. I mean, you can go to the movies, you watch people stand in line, and what are they going to do whenever there's like a, a hint of boredom? You grab your phone. So you never learn how to sit with that, we'll call it anxiety, although it's not entirely that, but that like tinge of anxiety. And I think with kids especially, it's learning how to sit with that and then figure things out. You know, one of the reasons actually... Um, if you look at why kids throw tantrums, for example, in classrooms, one of the reasons they do is because they get, they feel that anxiety or that, you know, the, whatever is causing them discomfort. And it's almost like a new sensation and they don't know how to process or deal with that emotions or those feelings. So they freak out. And the way you kind of know this is if you ask the kid what's wrong, they'll say like, oh, I'm sad. And they can only say, I'm sad because they don't have the vocabulary, the complexity to maybe split apart sadness from loneliness, right. from fr frustration. Mm. Or anxiety. The, anxiety. The only way we realize or figure out how to slice and dice those things apart is A, experiencing them. And then also given the support to kind of be like, okay, here's the vocabulary behind it. Here's what it kind of means. And here's how you make sense of this crazy barrage of feelings you're experiencing. That That's so funny. That reminds me when I was first in therapy, I would say like, my therapist would be like, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, I feel sad. And they're like, and I remember this guy had this kind of like color wheel that had an emotion chart mm. and it had 
I don't even remember. It had like sadness, but then it had all these variations of sadness. Yeah, I like that. And he'd be like, can you be more specific? And then it forced you to kind of go, I feel bereft and lonely. <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd have to really articulate what was going on as opposed to I'm mad or I'm okay or I feel good, you know, to just to dig deeper a little bit. That's interesting. It, and you know, there's fascinating and good science behind that actually helping us get through not only, you know, situations maybe that require therapy, but also, you know, resilience and toughness. Because mm -hmm. the, the other analogy I can give you is, you know, maybe back in your triple jumping days, you're going, you're jumping, you're doing that two laps around the track, hopping and skipping. And sometimes you'd feel a little bit of pain, but you knew that pain wasn't an injury. But mm -hmm. if, you'd ne if you'd never triple jump before, maybe the first time you experience that any sort of pain, you just say, oh my gosh, this is that injury. But because you do it, you're able to slice and dice that apart to understand oh what God. is good pain and bad pain. The that, same thing goes with all emotions. That's incredible because I had this friend telling me that he, he recently started being a big brother to a little brother. And the kid mostly is kind of in a divorced home, playing video games all the time. He took him on a, a hike in Griffith Park. This kid is like 13. And they were like halfway up the hike, you know, and it's pretty steep mountains up there in, in LA. And the kid was like, oh my God, I need to stop. And he's like, what's wrong? He's like, I'm, I, I've got a, an injury. It's really bad. This is really bad. I need, I need to go to the hospital. And he's like, what is it? He's like, my legs. What is it? Let me, let me, let me see. Did you pull something? No, they're just on fire. And it's like, what? It's like, yeah, they're, the muscles here, like on the front of my legs. Oh my God, they hurt. So, and he realized like, oh, he had never walked up a really strenuous hill before in his life. And his body was going mm -hmm. like, alert, your legs are going to explode into flames and, and fall off. So he had to kind of learn like, no, that's called exertion and that's that's what happens to muscles uh, and he had to learn that at like 13 crazy yeah you know I, I love that example because that doesn't just apply to physical pursuits or experiences that applies to everything and there's again good science mm -hmm. behind this is when we haven't ever experienced that or it's been a very long time it's almost like we have this hypersensitive alarm where the alarm goes, what in the hell is that? Like, I've never experienced this before. My legs are on fire and burning. This must mean I'm about to die. Mm. So that's, that's why it's really important not to, you know, shun away or ignore our, our, our feelings and not to, like, try and avoid things. But as you said earlier, like, embrace that discomfort because the only way we can kind of become adept and turn that alarm down to an appropriate level as if we've we've gone through it before. Yeah. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No so let's switch gears here a little bit. There was a 2016 study from the National Institute of Health called The Dark Side of Resilience. And it was showing how resilience might negatively impact one's emotional life. They're uh, overestimating the limits of our tolerance in adverse circumstances and becoming an easier target for burnout and other impairing psychological conditions. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, what's the downside of resilience. There was a quote here from uh, Venita Srivastava, forgive me if I'm saying the name incorrectly, of the Don't Call Me Resilient podcast. And there's some pushback on this word. Remember that this was like Ariana Huffington's word of the year, 2020, mm -hmm. resilience. Um, and, and Venita said, I believe we should always celebrate resilience, uh, the human ability to recover or adjust to difficult conditions. But for many marginalized people, including black, indigenous, and racialized people, being labeled resilient, especially by policymakers, has other implications. The focus on resilience and applauding people for being resilient make is, makes it too easy for policymakers to avoid looking for real solutions. It's kind of like, hey, don't be a victim, be resilient, mm -hmm. and that doesn't really take into account injustices and imbalances that need to be addressed. Absolutely. No, I think that's a, a very good and reasonable point. You know, I look at it as, you know, a lot around a lot of these words, there's kind of these connotations that have just kind of been dumped on them over time. And I think often what happens is we re use resilience as almost like you figure it out or like you just get through it. And there are situations that we have to understand that are often beyond our control mm, mm. or situations where getting through it might not even be the right decision, right? The right decision might be to be not quote unquote traditionally resilient. It might be mm. to quit or do something else. That's a and really I, good point. Mm -hmm. And I think that's often kind of where, you know, we almost have, again, this negative connotation around quitting and see it as, as this horrible thing that you can do. But in certain situations, it's the right thing. So that's where I think nuance is around all of these conversations. And anytime some word becomes the buzzword, what inevitably happens <laughs> yep. is then we overemphasize that thing, and it, it kind of yeah. it loses some of its use. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I think of. I mean, Rain said it perfectly. The whole you know, don't be a victim talking point, which strangely only seems to apply to brown and black people and like gay people and stuff. But okay, I, what drives me bananas is the whole uh, uh, toxic positivity thing where it's like, um, you know, like all these self-help books about uh, don't complain and, you know, to turn your tears into something wondrous and... Uh, you know, just all of that whole sort of facet of self-help just drives me bananas. And also now in the post-COVID world, you know, re resilience 
is almost like this uh, kind of magical buzzword that that's supposed to help all of humanity claw its way out of this incredible devastation, you know, that we've uh, un- that's been unleashed by this pandemic. Um, this idea that, like, I mean, is it too much to say it feels like a kind of new eugenics, you know, where people are like, well, look, you know, yeah, sure, millions of people died, weak people, fat people. Uh, and you know, the rest of us will be fine. We're going to come out of this a lot better. And I'm like, that sounds weirdly like something Hitler would say. You know, that's a good point, Reza. And there's two things that come to mind. First is in researching the book, I remember reading Viktor Frankl, the Holocaust survivor, um, talk about surviving the Holocaust. And he said, one of the the things we shouldn't do is mistake that the survivors were the resilient ones. Mm. And I think that's similar, although on another level. Wait, why is, he, why is he saying that? I don't get it. it. He said that because to him, it was not, it, it was about the environment yeah. often created the situation of who survived versus not. And ah. it, wasn't, it wasn't an individual control issue. It's not that, oh, I survived because I'm tougher or resilient. Is mm. that the environment around me just supported me to get be able to do this thing? It's weird too because it, it's side. almost like it's adopting the language of the Nazis. Like, it, exactly. well, the strong ones survived the concentration camps. It, it, exactly, <laughs> and I mm. think that's that's often kind of you know it's yeah it's just very harrowing and, and wrong. And I think the other thing on this is that resilience is so environmental. And maybe to go back to that idea of, I said, hey, certain people have a more sensitive alarm. Well, if you look at how people were upbringing and raised, and if they were raised in low socioeconomic status, there's actually some good data that shows that their brain like reaction to certain kinds of threats is very hypersensitive. Why? Because the brain was preparing for the environment that it was in which was often one of, hey, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. I need to be in kind of survival mode. So of course, you're going to have maybe a hyperactive stress response. And that's not through anything that that kid or, you know, now grown adult did. It's just part of the environment that, you know, he was in. So I think often we, we almost think of resilience and think of it as like this individual hardiness when we need to zoom way out and be like, hey, everything from our environment, from our societal narratives, from the culture that we, we you know, inhabit, all of those play a role. And it's not just like, hey, I'm going to be tough today. Sometimes you don't have that choice. It's funny. The, um, I was watching this trailer for a new documentary about Dr. Gabor Mate, who was a guest on this show. And I think we're going to have him back this fall. Just one of the most brilliant human beings who talks about trauma and addiction, but he draws parallels into like how society works as a traumatized, addicted society, right? And he said in this trailer, and it was so great, it was like, you know, we spend our whole lives like trying to fit into civilization. That's our goal. How do we fit into civilization? How do we be successful and happy and well-balanced and have relationships and a career and get an education in quote unquote civilization? But what if civilization is broken? What if civilization is rotten and corrupt and trying to fit into it, trying to uh, be successful in navigating something 
is not good for you because civilization doesn't take care of us. It doesn't mm. provide for us in the way that it could or in the way that it should. So Wait, that you goes, mean, I'm sorry, Rain. So you mean like, why not opt out? No, just saying we need to fix what civilization is. Like everyone right, just buys right. like, oh, you know, doing fit, fit 12 years of- thing. We do 12 years of school and then we do four years of college and then we try and get a job and then you try, you know, make sure you find that relationship and, you know, you've got to earn this much money and then you've got to buy a house and then, like, and you've got to be functional and you've got to find your community and your friends and you've got to be healthy and you've got to have great mental health and physical health and well-being. It's like, but this system is this kind of ADD habit trail um, and it's, it's, it's really unhealthy. So I, I, don't, I don't know what this has to do with my next question, but I, it was also making me think about this, um, in, in therapy, I, I, I'm talking about therapy again. Um, I did this thing for a while called gestalt therapy. And, um, it's really interesting because what it is, is it's saying that inside every person's head, you have all these different voices. You have the demanding parent and you have the whiny child and you have the scared boy and you have the rebellious teenager and you have, you know, the, the naysayer and you, you know, you just have all this chorus of voices so that when you di can distinguish these voices, then you start to have conversations with them. So if it's the disapproving parent, then you start to have a conversation with that part of yourself that's the disapproving parent. That's the, the voice that's like, you can never get this right. You're always gonna get this wrong. You're always gonna fuck up. You're, you'll never amount to anything. And, you, and you'd be like, literally like, why do you say that? Well, cause I see that. Well, you know, you could do it by writing this down in a journal mm -hmm. or you can literally play act with an empty chair and you could play both roles. And I was struck by the amount of uh, real estate in your book about the voices in your head. You have a whole chapter on it, but it kind of is a theme that runs throughout. So what is this, these voices in your head? And I don't want to say mastery, but learning to deal with the voices in your head. What does that have to do with resilience? Yeah, I, I'm so glad you brought up that example, because if you look at the latest psychology, it's spot on. Is we all, or most of us, have these conversations and these, this kind of like inner battle with these various voices. And I often think of it as like this angel and devil on your shoulder. And you're kind of stuck in the middle navigating. And I think traditionally what we tell ourselves is like, oh, just ignore the bad ones or push them away and just uh -huh. ampli amplify the good ones. And right. that, again, often doesn't work right. because whenever we push or resist something, that voice often comes back 10 times stronger. So instead, to me, it's learning how to communicate with them, meaning like understanding what voices are the ones you should listen to in that moment versus what voices are maybe the ones that like, hey, you might acknowledge are there, but it's like your crazy aunt or uncle ranting on Facebook and you just <laughs> need to scroll on by, right? And, and the only way you learn how to do that is essentially spending time in those, you know, Gestalt therapy is a great example, but spending time like figuring out, okay, should I listen to this? How do I talk to this? How do I get out of this? And then the other thing that I think is really important is that we have these voices that are often what I'd call kind of passive. They come upon us. They're kind of placed upon us almost, it feels like. Mm -hmm. And then we have our active self, which is 
you're in command of your self-talk. And what the science and psychology clearly shows is that if you shift the way that you talk to yourself, you can um, shift how you deal with that uncomfortable moment. So to give a quick example, there's some fascinating work that says, you know, simply if I change from using, you know, first person to third person or second person, the second and third person creates what's called psychological distance. And it's almost like your brain interprets it as if it's advice coming from a stranger. So it'll listen to it more than if you're just sitting there, you know, um, talking in first person to yourself. That's fast. I totally believe that to be true. Like it, it, I know it sounds like a small thing, but it does create this weird psychic shift in the brain. It, so- it does. And it, one other thing that I think is fascinating, if you ever watch uh, sports like tennis, yeah. You often see them talking to themselves out loud before they're about to serve. The reason they do that is, again, some preliminary research shows the same thing as it creates distance. Your brain almost, it hears another voice, which is your own. And it says, oh, I better listen to that almost like it's coming to a friend. Well, so, Rain, do you okay. do that a lot? Sorry. That? Sorry. He brought up tennis. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go <laughs> I there. Knew it. I knew it. So this is it's fascinating. So. I don't know. I watched the Wimbledon final this last weekend, which was fantastic. And Kyrgios has these explosions against the umps and to his box. And, and he has to do that to blow off steam. I wish he could find a healthier way to do it. But I don't know if you know Nick Kyrgios, but he's kind of the notorious bad boy of tennis. And he has those kind of eruptions. But yeah, people, they talk to themselves. But what I read, interestingly enough, in the seminal book, Zen and the Art of Tennis, is that... Um, positive self-talk doesn't help. So this is a really interesting thing. Mm-hmm. It goes right in hand with what you're saying. If you're playing tennis and you hit it in the net and then you go, come on, you could do better. You'll get it next time. Hit it over the net next time. It doesn't make you any better yeah. at hitting it over right. the net next time. So what does work? It's kind of like the talk is, oh, you hit down, you hit across the ball. Really think low to high next time you get one of those shots. Think low to high. And then that helps. Like you're making adjustments. You're coaching yourself. You're, you're talking about like, oh, you're like, oh, the, the opponent is always hanging to his left because he doesn't like his backhand. You know, let's try and hit some sharp angles over there. Like, okay, just focus on the ball. This next, ball, this next point, focus on the ball. Just keep your eye on the ball. Like those are the things that actually help you as opposed to, come on, you can do it. You got this. Steve, you, you've completely derailed this conversation but, uh, by bringing up tennis. Well done. Hey, I'll, I'm I'll sorry. Talk should we day, go back so. to hurdles? Should we go back to hurdles? <laughs> I'd love so, to hear some more and more of Reza's hurdle stories. <laughs> I think so, that was my one story. So, Rain, no, I love the tennis stuff because it's such a mental game as well. Mm. And you know, the way I like to think of it is your self-talk or your inner dialogue is almost like you're commanding your brain what to pay attention to. So, if you say like, you know, hey, don't hit it in the net net this time, or you know, you've got this, what are you telling your brain to pay attention to? The mistake you just made or Mm. saying, oh, I got this. Well, what Mm. what does that do? That's not a command. That's very nebulous. But if you sit there and you give it instructions, it's almost like your brain goes, okay, here's my instructions. I'm going to shift my attention to this and leave what just happened behind, which is the whole point. That's also why Kyrgios like blows up. Why does he blow up? He has to blow off that steam so that he can leave that point behind and not let it linger 
Because mm. if, if for him, if he just encapsulated it, it would probably linger and then affect the next shot, the next shot, the next shot. So the working title of this episode of Metaphysical Milkshake is What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger? You know, now that we've kind of gotten this understanding of what resilience is not, which I think has been very, very helpful to me, not just as a, a person, but also as a man and also as a, a father. How about, what about some advice about like how you can actually foster resilience in yourself and in society. You talk in the book about the four pillars of toughness. Can you take us through that? Yeah, sure. So briefly, the four pillars are pretty simple. Is Number one is ditch the facade and embrace reality, which kind of gets at something we've been hinting around at, which is resilience isn't about, you know, kind of faking your way through it or like convincing yourself you got it. It's not bravado. It's facing the reality of the situation. And sometimes the reality of the situation is this is going to be really freaking difficult or this sucks. But when we face that reality and we have an accurate appraisal of what we're going to face and then an accurate appraisal of what we can handle, then research shows, again, our body's aligned and it has a more productive stress response versus what we call kind of a threat or freak out response, which tends to send us spiraling out of control. Mm. And the second is listen to your body, which is, again, something that we've talked about a little bit, which is your, your feelings, your emotions, they're messengers. They're not dictators. They're messengers that we need to speak the same language of, as we talked about before. And then the same goes with your voice. It's not about ignoring it. It's about realizing how to make your inner voice more productive. And then the third pillar is respond instead of react, which is essentially, if you look at the research and you look at what the world's best performers do, when they're in the middle of a, a very stressful situation, it's not hitting the alarm button and then just going and finding the, the safest or the quickest solution. That's reacting. Responding is almost creating the space so that you can navigate that situation. What I like to think of here is the, the people in the special forces who I talked to is said, essentially, when they're in a survival situation, it sucks. Your brain is trying to drag you out to survive and it's going crazy. And you have to find something to grasp onto that allows you to stay in that moment and create the space to do the things that you need to do. Mm -hmm. And then the, mm -hmm. the last pillar is what I call transcend discomfort, which is essentially getting at that point that we briefly talked about, which is our environment matters a lot. And if you want people to be tough, then you have to create the situation where they feel supported and where they feel like they can take risks, maybe even fail, and still come back and do their job again. And then the last part of that transcending is it's not avoiding discomfort. It's about finding meaning in that discomfort often, which is whenever we go through tough things, the best thing we can do is learn how to process that instead of avoid it. And process often means making sense or finding meaning in it. Well, that's just fantastic. Uh, Steve, uh, this has been such a delightful conversation. I love those four pillars. I got a lot out of this book. This has really, it's really helped me reshape my own personal relationship to tough, even just what you're saying right there. Like if you want to promote toughness, 
create an, a warm, nurturing, loving environment so that people can take risks. That is so antithetical to what the American idea of toughness or resilience is. That's really beautifully researched and very well said. Thank you for coming on The Milkshake. And it was just a delight to have you here. Oh, thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Wow, fascinating. So many cool concepts. Yeah, I really, uh, I, I feel tougher. Do you feel tougher? Well, I, I hate that word tough. You know, even in his <laughs> title, the real toughness. I mean, do I feel more adaptable, flexible, resilient? I, I do a little bit. I think mm. I, I've learned a few things, actually. Some of these episodes I do, I'm not saying I know it all, but I don't really come out the other side feeling like I have new information in some yeah. way. But this one I really me do. Too. There's like some things for me to think about. But I was, I, I guess it brought up for me, Reza, like, are there things in your life that you feel that you could utilize some of these tools to make your life better, to be, make yourself more resilient? What are some struggles and obstacles that you're up against that you could kind of use some of these tools to, I won't say combat, but to undertake? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what was probably the biggest takeaway for me. It was just kind of a, a line that he, it was almost a throwaway line when we were talking about, you know, our kids, when he was like, you know, resilience isn't about sucking it up and, and pushing through that sometimes, you know, when you're in that place that I sometimes find my son in, that that's the body, that's his brain telling him something is wrong, something is off, pay attention, that it's really just kind of a sign of, of anxiety or fear, maybe. And that maybe me sort of yelling at him to like, get over it, <laughs> is not the best way to deal with fear and anxiety. So I, I really like that. I, I really like this idea that when I'm confronted with what I view as a lack of resilience in my kid, that maybe what I should do is switch the way that I'm looking at it and instead think to myself, oh, there's something wrong. There's a, there's a fear here. There's an anxiety here. There's, a, there's an issue here that, and that the lack of resilience is a symptom of that thing instead of the problem itself. That, that really, that hit me. What about you? What about you? Any, uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a couple things. One is, I think you're exactly right. Like creating for our children the sense, I love that idea of like creating a, a, a safe environment almost for failure actually is what breeds toughness. You know, right. it's, it's support. It's mutual support that allows you to feel safe enough to try try new things. Not that I was parenting this way anyway, but you know, any kind of like berating and kind of like suck it up and push through. I don't know if that, I don't know if that works. Yeah. I just don't know. I mean, if it worked, I guess we'd do it, but I, I, I don't know if it works. And I think for me, you know, one of the things I still struggle with is just my career as an actor. You know, it's, it's really hard. Uh, Hollywood is one of the hardest, worst places to, to make a career. It's also one of the best. And you get paid really well. And I've been on some great TV shows and some great movies and some great podcasts, but so much is out of your control. I mean, it's just yep. so much just spiraling in every which way and decisions being made by hundreds of people that are looking at this kind of like stock market of actors and ups and downs and 
comparisons and envy and who's hot and who's not and and to kind of lovingly detach my ego from that and to recognize this is the reality. He kept talking about like seeing the reality of it, like the reality of the situation. Here's the reality of the situation. Yes. Like there's very few people who really know what they're doing. Everyone's kind of mad capped, scared out of their asses, trying to make money in a, in a business that makes no sense. And if you recognize it as that, then, then my own ego won't get bruised by, uh, decisions being made about the Rain Wilson brand and and business. Yeah. This has been a lifelong struggle, but I think I can continue to learn more resilience around that. What about you, milkshakers? Is there something in your life that you have a hard time struggling with, dealing with? Do you have a, a story about um, resilience or the lack thereof? Let us know. Uh, you can find us on social media at Reza Aslan and at Rain Wilson on Twitter at Metamilk Podcast and on Instagram at Metaphysical Milkshake. Let us know your life's big question. Let us know uh, how you deal with resilience in your life. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And in fact, we have yes. a bunch of free copies of Steve <laughs> Magnus's Do Hard Things. The first five people to leave a positive review. I guess it could even be a negative <laughs> review. I don't care. Just a review on Apple Podcasts. Take a screenshot. Send it to metaphysical at castmedia.com. That's cast with a K. The first five we hear from are going to be sent a copy of this fantastic book. Free books. I love giving away free Do books. hard Please. things participate. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel and watch us having these scintillating conversations. All right, guys. See you next week. And in the meantime, suck it up! Suck it up, dingbats. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Eris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang. Hey, Rain, uh, while I was waiting for you to come back from the bathroom, I, I researched the triple jump in ancient Greece. And it turns out that they didn't actually do the hop, skip, jump until much later when they were clothed. Which, if you think about it, makes so much <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to see someone doing a naked triple jump. No one wants to see anyone doing a triple jump at all, ever. <laughs> but then you throw in nudity and Woo! like all the bouncing around in and those ridiculous slapping. ways. It's yeah. Oh, it's so slappy. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, it's definitely best clothed. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.